Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is what the living word of God says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we dive into the scriptures together this morning, tune our hearts into the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the gift that it is to read your word in community together this morning. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. I ask that right here and now, that whatever we came in here with, maybe our preconceived ideas of you, Jesus, that you would give us fresh revelation, that scales would fall from our eyes so that we could see you for who you truly are, that, Holy Spirit, you would move fresh in us this morning, that, Father God, we would come alive in the truth that that you call us your sons and daughters, that you call us beloved, that we would drop any preconceived idea of what church should be, what community should look like, who you are, Jesus. And right here and right now, Simply come alive in the gospel. We love you. We thank you for these moments. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word. In your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said. Amen. Uh, There's a mad scrambling in the streets of society in today's culture uh, to be successful, to be relevant, uh, and to have our status known among the people. That the value system we measure humanity with in today's time uh, is based off of things like social media accounts and how many followers you have or that house that you live in, or the certain people that you know, or the certain people that you exclude from your life. That we so starkly push out an image to our neighbors or our friends and our family members because we want to be approved of so badly that we'll do just about anything to have others think of us as significant. That significance, especially in our time and culture, is absolutely sexy. That's why we want everybody to know what we're doing, when we're doing it, so we can flaunt it in front of everyone. Then Boomtown, we've won the culture war of our lives, and we can deem ourselves now worthy of love. But you see, the way of Jesus, the person of Jesus, he actually whispers back the opposite. The way of Jesus says the path of true significance is actually a life of servanthood. That's what we're struck with with these words that we just read by Paul to the Romans in the Holy Scriptures. Paul is often considered to be the most important person after Jesus in the history of Christianity. He started more than a dozen churches. He's the author of 13 books of the Bible, more than any other biblical writer. And even outside the body of Christ, even outside of Christianity, Paul is often considered one of the most influential people in all of human history. He performed countless miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was the first missionary to the Gentiles. He brings the gospel to countless new regions of the world. Paul's the main man. He's the Michael Jordan of his era. You and I would look at him and go, wow, look at this guy's life. It's amazing. Look at the significance pouring out of who he is. And right here, Romans 1, his most famous letter to the churches, his mastery letter that was read then by thousands and today by millions, These words that would be read aloud and shared from generation to generation. His pen hits the paper 
And his first sentences cement his significance and legacy into the history books of humanity. And here's what he says. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Hold on. Let's read that again. Paul, comma, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Are you seeing what I said? To cement his significance in the story of humanity, Paul's opening sentence is declaring the most important fact I want you to know about me is that I am a servant of Jesus. That there are 16 more chapters to this letter to the Romans. But if you don't hear anything else, if you don't know anything else about him, he wants you to know that he is a servant of Jesus. Why does all that matter? What is the significance of that first sentence? Paul is suggesting that in this moment, that if our identity is wrapped up in the same, being servants of Jesus, that the gospel will be easily and readily known across the nations. That's the most immediate need in the body of Christ is not for more influential leaders, not for more big churches, not for more large gatherings or incredible moves of worship. No, it's for servants of Jesus. For in the soil of servanthood, grows the most fruitful life. For that soil is rich with the likeness of Christ. How do we know? Because that's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10. It says, For this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, servanthood is how the perfect love of the Heavenly Father will be made known in all of our ordinary moments. Because servanthood is so effective Because it's the place where we stop trying to earn love and instead we just serve our Lord and our God and his beloveds. Not out of duty, but out of absolute delight. But how did Paul get there? How did he end up declaring that he is a servant of Jesus? Why did that become the most important thing to him in the narrative of his whole life? Maybe you're familiar with his story. A man named Saul who would later be called this same Paul. He was known for killing Christians. He was known for killing Jesus' followers. He was known for tearing down the way of Jesus and the servanthood of the early church until he had an encounter with with the Lord. We'll look at it in Acts chapter 9 of the Bible, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. The scripture says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked Him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were were traveling with him stood speechless and hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Moving down in the passage to verse 18 and 19. After Saul had met with a disciple of Jesus, it's recorded, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, By which you came in has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. 
Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. What a moment. Saul, killing people of the way of Jesus, destroying the servanthood of the early church, doing everything in his power to get the way of Jesus, Christianity, out of the hearts of humanity. This man was known for killing anyone who professed Jesus as Lord. But in one encounter with Jesus, everything has changed. He set off in a new direction. In such a starkly new direction that we read what we just read in Romans 1. That his whole identity now is wrapped up as Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. How does this happen? What are we to learn from this moment? And how could we be found encountering the same? Key verse. Who are you? Lord, Lord, what a word spoken from a man who's just encountered Jesus. That is something in our cultural moment that we're pretty unfamiliar with. Have you noticed that? That we will easily and readily think of Jesus as just a buddy to hang out with. But Lord, that's how I went out quick as a hiccup. But you see, servanthood and lordship, they go hand in hand. Because the only way that you and I would ever be found declaring what Paul says, that we are servants of Jesus is if we are first submitted and surrendered to his lordship. That there's a tremendous opportunity in our cultural moment for the church to come back to her roots, to come back to the lordship of Jesus, to come back to a move of the Holy Spirit. The church as a counterculture, the way of Jesus not conforming to the way of the world, a beautiful resistance to the world around us. So the people who make up the world could know perfect love and perfect grace, and that comes from the living God. But in order for that to happen, we must be found declaring like Paul did. Who are you, Lord? We must have an encounter of his lordship. We must stop assuming that belief is all that is asked of us, and instead enter into deep relationship with Jesus as Lord in all of our ordinary moments. Verse 8 says, And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Sometimes that's how we as the body of Christ choose to operate. That we have eyes, but we don't see much of anything. Or we have eyes to see just what we've made cultural Christianity to be. But we see nothing of signs and wonders. Nothing of deep revelation and heart transformation. Nothing of a move of the Spirit. That we need, like Saul, an encounter with Jesus. Revelation from the Holy Spirit and scales to fall from our eyes. And become aware that this Jesus... Oh, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He is holy and perfect in love and nature. And that according to his word, the very best way for all people to know the gospel is if you and I embody the characteristic and heart of our Lord. That if you're a Christian, you have been called and commissioned to continue the ministry of Jesus, which is a call to surrender to his lordship and live into servanthood. Full stop. There is no other strategy in the way of Jesus Christ as Lord over everything in our lives. That in the Gospel of Mark, you were either a part of the crowd or a disciple of Jesus. Those are the options. The crowd, in one chapter, they would shout, Hosanna! And in the next, crucify him. That you and I, as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we must know him as Lord. And that means we must orient our whole lives around him. The way he loves the way he speaks, the way he smells like people because he's with people, the way that he lays down his life in absolute servanthood, not just at a church gathering, 
But in our, in our normal lives, servanthood in our marriage, servanthood in the school, the halls that we occupy, servanthood in the workplace, serving people in all of our ordinary moments so that they would come alive in the truth that the Lord God says that they are worthy, that they are worthy of an unmatched love and his name is Jesus. But what does that really look like for us? What does a community like that actually look like? Maybe you're sitting here this morning like, man, that sounds fantastic. Could anybody actually do that, though? Lordship and servant, has that ever been done before? What's well, Acts chapter 2? That's the benchmark of the local church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done, and all who believed had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, being in community together, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's servanthood on full display. But it will only happen if we give the allegiance of our hearts to the Lordship of Jesus. Because it's in the Lordship of Jesus that we stop desiring others to serve us. We stop thinking that we deserve anything. We stop believing the lies of the world that if someone else is loved, that it takes away from ours. And instead, because we know him as Lord, we know that we are loved. So we love people like Jesus does. Servanthood. It only happens when we repent from the scales in our eyes and see clearly the Lord God Almighty. That this Lord, he breathes and creates humanity from dust. That the uncreated one declares that we are his beloved. That we cannot reduce this way of Jesus and the life that he has called us to to just some fun idea. Or we can live lukewarm lives and never have him Lord of them. No. The depths of his love for us is found in the amazing truth that our deepest freedom is actually knowing him as Lord. So the question then is, how do we live into this with all of our hearts? How do you and I actually live into this truth? How do we move from being people of the crowd into people of lordship and servanthood? How do we have a Saul to Paul type of moment? I mean, if Paul was known for killing Christians and is now known among the history books as one of the most influential people in all of Christianity, there must be something that happened to him. That if in one moment he was killing the ones who were declaring Jesus as Lord, and then in the next declaring Jesus as Lord himself, there's got to be a secret sauce to the story. That if Paul is now found declaring in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. What does he know that we don't know? Or if in Philippians 3.8, Paul is found saying, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, these are ride or die statements. This ain't no lukewarm cookie cutter Christian life. This guy's for real. I consider everything. Pump the brakes, Paul. What does he know that we don't know? But wait a minute. Maybe there it is. Maybe that's just it. Look at that verse again. I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing, not just believing Jesus. No, Paul says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That may be the most urgent need in our life as the church. 
the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus living in community together. Maybe our most urgent need is not more insight. But maybe, instead, it's to actually trust what we already claim to believe. That kind of trust is called knowing. Because, you see, the Bible says in James 2 that you believe in God? Great! Even the demons believe. That belief is one thing. Trusting in what you believe is entirely another. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. That's believing but not knowing. But then scales fell from his eyes and he got a revelation of who Jesus is as Lord. And he started to trust the perfect love of the living God. Trusting in what you believe means you know it. Means you know him. To know, that's the secret sauce of the Apostle Paul. The disciple of Christ Jesus. That's the fire set into a heart that causes it to burn ablaze with a deep passion. Not just to believe in Jesus, but to know him as Lord. They say the world's farthest journey is from one's mind to their heart. Isn't that true of the journey from believing to knowing? Sure, we, we might believe some things in our head about Jesus, but knowing, trusting in that belief, trusting in him as Lord, that's the root of the heart. From the head to the heart so the simple gospel can ring out in our lives. How? Because we know him. Because we know him. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Whoa! That's quite the claim, Paul. You sure this is worthy of your whole life? You really believe this Jesus? I, I mean, I do too, but like, you really, really believe? No. Even better. I know him. I know him. I have come to trust in his love. I have come to trust in his will. I have come to trust to be led by his spirit. I know him. And I know that his power is made perfect in my weakness. I know his grace is so good because I am saved by him and I'd be dead without him. I'm the worst of the sinners, but he calls me beloved. I consider everything else as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing him. So then maybe the question for you and I isn't so much do we believe. Maybe the question is, do we know him? Do you know him? Do you know this perfect love? For if you do, if you claim Jesus as Lord, our life should look like it. Our life should be found declaring these same words. Our lives should be swept up in servanthood. Our lives should be so noticeably different because of the Lord whom we serve. That the cry of the church should be, we are servants of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel of God, and are alive in his love, and knowing him is our greatest joy. And because of that, our lives should be filled to the brim with the passion for people. Our lives should be filled to the brim with the passion to love people just like the Lord whom we serve. But I know what you could be thinking. How do I know if I know? I mean, I believe. But I want to know. So how do I go about knowing, you know? When you know Jesus as Lord, you start to live into the new self. That the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, it, it talks about the old self and the new self. The old self, before we believe and come to know Jesus as Lord, dead in sin. But then the new self, we're invited into life by Jesus and his grace and his mercy and it says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Jesus is. 
Set your mind and your heart on things that are above. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, the new self, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, or as Jesus tells us, loving one another as I have loved you. For remember, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. A life marked by servanthood is a life knowing Jesus as Lord. But here's the snag. Here's what we usually don't like. Do we know that we're called to put off the old self? Do we know that we are called as followers of Jesus to put off the old self? That might be one of the sneakiest things in Christian culture today. That we can claim to believe Jesus all we want while still lugging around that old self. And we're perfectly okay with it. Do we know that we are called to put off the old self? That if we know Jesus as Lord, that we are called now to live, love, and look like someone who has encountered him and be transformed by him. That Paul was killing Christians, remember? And because of a revelation from Jesus, his life is totally and completely different. A new self. Paul counts everything else as worthless. Do we? Are we living like we know Jesus? Or do we just claim an empty belief with no trust so we keep lugging around our old self because we think that life is better or makes us feel significant? Are we living like we know Jesus? If not, maybe we got to check the old self at the door and allow that life to die. And instead, live into the new self and the new life that Jesus invites us into. The life that is ours for the receiving by the grace and mercy of Jesus. The life that is vastly different than what we have made it in today's subculture Christian world. Because listen to how Paul describes the difference between the two. It's not church attendance. It's not systems and programs. It's not rules and regulation. It's not empty religion. Everything that is described because he knows Jesus as Lord is how his heart reflects who his Lord is. That the list of things in Colossians 3 or Ephesians 4, the new self, the Sermon on the Mount, the way of Jesus, life by the Spirit, sure, it changes our behavior, awesome, but first, It transforms the heart. That's knowing. A continual desire for a transformed heart by the Savior of it. A continual repentance and renewal of the Holy Spirit. A continual day by day, moment by moment, surrender and trusting in Jesus. To know Him. That's the secret sauce of the Jesus follower. Not just a belief. Belief in something so that our behavior might change has never been the goal of the gospel. Do we know that? The gospel is the unleashing of the deep, perfect love of God as seen in Jesus so that we could live by the power of the Holy Spirit in all of our moments. So that we could be saved by grace from our sin and made alive again in the new self as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father who calls us beloved. That's why Jesus wants us to know Him as Lord. Because it's in knowing Him intimately, who Jesus is, that Paul joyfully says, I've been crucified with Christ. That's why he considers everything else aloft, because he doesn't just believe a worldview about Jesus. No. He knows the goodness of his grace. He knows the joy of his kindness. He knows the graciousness of his lordship. And in knowing Jesus as Lord, we know perfect love. Because you see, what humanity needs is not just to blindly believe that we are loved. No, friends. What humanity needs, what we all need, 
what you and I and all people are desperately longing for is to know that we are so loved. And that knowing, it only comes from Jesus as Lord. Come on, let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that you invite us to the incredible gift to know him as Lord. We ask right here and right now, Jesus, that you would give us divine revelation of who you really are. That scales would start to fall from our eyes. That, Holy Spirit, you would move in such power in these next few minutes and moments as we worship you. That scales would fall from our eyes so that we could see you as Lord. So that we could see the goodness of your Lordship and realize that from it comes the most freedom. That we would come alive in the truth that you call us beloved. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of the work of you, Lord Jesus. We surrender to you. We desire to know you as Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would rush upon us. That we would have a Saul to Paul type of moment right here and now this morning. And that we would live into the new self that you invite us into. That we would be servants of you, Lord Jesus. And that would be the most true thing about us. We love you. We thank you that you first love us. And we give you all the glory in your mighty name, Jesus, all the beloved said. Amen.